trying not to do one of these every day. <laughs> I'm really not. Uh, I'm really not trying because I'm doing it. How could I be trying if I'm doing one every day? Um, but uh, another one of these, I'm sitting on the couch. I've been sitting on the couch a lot more in the last six months. I've rallied against couches. I've talked about what couches do to your mind. How you should be a chair person. Not a chairman, like a chairman of the board, but a, a chair-oriented person. A person who sits in chairs, who prefers chairs. I mean, there's a reason why kings sit on thrones, which are just fancy chairs. You know, kings don't sit on couches when they are leading, when they are presiding, when they are officiating. They might sit on great luxurious couches when the king is in his bedroom or his parlor, whatever you call it. What do you call a king's bedroom? A bedroom doesn't sound glorious enough for a king, but I guess everybody has a bedroom unless you don't have any anywhere to sleep. I don't know. But kings sit in chairs. And I've rallied against what couches do to your mind, what they do to your body. A lot of binge-oriented behavior involves couches. Binge watching, binge eating. People don't usually do a lot of binge watching and binge eating in chairs. They do, but they I feel they do it a lot less than they do couches. I mean, a couch itself is sort of a binge version of a piece of furniture. I mean, it's it's stretched out, it's big, it's padded. It's like you're binging on material. You're binging on, <laughs> you know, it's it's a binge of furniture itself. So, of course, you would binge more when you're on a couch. But I've been sitting on the couch a lot more in the last six months. I guess because I've just been, you know, because I'm living in my mom's house. And, uh, you know, the couch was where she liked to sit. And, and that was her comfort place, you know. it's not It's not like I have a problem with people who sit on couches. If you have a problem with people who sit on couches, then you got a problem with everybody and you don't want that. But just for my own self, my own preaching what I need sort of take is that uh, I'm just a chair-oriented person. But here I am sitting on couches a lot more. I, I would say I spend much more time sitting on the couch these days than I do a chair. And I'm talking into my phone again, even though I'm at home. Even though I've got this equipment upstairs, I'm talking into my phone. And it's fitting that I am talking into my phone. My friend Nick, you know, my lifelong childhood best friend, a, a real brother of mine, sent me a message tonight and he was talking about how, you know, he was in traffic today and how traffic is, as he put it, the dumbest ever. I like that, the dumbest ever. But how he was saying, he had this thought, he said, about how, with how digital everything is these days, with how digital we are, how digital we've become, he feels like what's going on right now is a big sink. Everything's synchronizing with that new world. And I'm, I'm, you know, adding a little bit to what he said here. He he kept his statement pretty minimal. It was a text message. But it does feel that way. It does feel like something is synchronizing, something is recalibrating. It seemed that way three months ago. I mean, for me, it's kind of seemed that way for the last three years. 
but it seemed that way for everybody about three months ago, and now it seems even more so. And uh, there might be some truth to that. And what he said, what he, what Nick said about this being us kind of synchronizing with this new digital nature, it got me thinking about social media in particular. And that's a phrase, I hope we find a new phrase for it. It's not a phrase I like using. I feel like it brings me down a couple notches, brings me down in other people's eyes a couple notches, in, in other people's ears, it brings me down a couple notches when they hear me say the word social media, but I don't know what else to say when I'm talking about this thing that is very important and powerful in our world today. And uh, for a long time now, I've had this idea that social media is a form of collective consciousness. And it, it's something that we often don't think about when we communicate on it. You know, you think about all the people that you see communicate and you think, oh, wow, you didn't think that through at all. You did not think that through at all. And it has nothing to do with their intention or what they're actually communicating. But you just realize, I mean that in the best way possible. When I say you didn't think that through at all, it's almost like when they post something, that itself is the thought. It just, it comes straight out of them and the thought appears there on this social media platform. So when I say like, you didn't think about that at all, I know that sounds condescending and sometimes it is. And a lot of people have that sort of condescending thought and I'll get into that in a sec. In a sec. I like that we took second and it's so common just to say sec. Out of all the words that we shorten, I like that sec is one that we really we really decided to go with that. <laughs> we really decided to say to just go with that diminutive shortened version of second. Just a sec. I like sec. <laughs> I like sec. Uh, speaking of my friend Nick, he he had his little brother, and it might have been partly his little brother like wanting to do it, but he had this crawl space in his old – he had a loft in his childhood home. And up in that loft, there was this crawl space that we used to go into, and there was nothing in it except for a lamp. And no adult could get in the, into this crawl space, and it was carpeted, but it, it was along the eaves of the house, so it was at a very sharp slant. So really only children could go in there and even children had to crouch and sit. You know, there's no way that even a child could, you couldn't even do an impression of a hunchback in there and be comfortable. You couldn't stand in any way whatsoever, but we would love hanging out there because it was kind of a little clubhouse, kind of a little clubhouse. Didn't really need to say it that way, um, but uh we wrote all over the walls and all kinds of obscenities because, you know, we learned about this concept of sex and we learned all these euphemisms and slang and we were young too. You know, we were like first and second grade and we started to write all this profanity on the walls of this crawl space. And uh, when his little brother, who was four years younger, when he got old enough, he 
would go in there with us and, and we would get him and his friends to sometimes write profanity too. And I think they enjoyed it as well. But one of the things that Nick had him write, and maybe the brother just did it on his own, but I feel like there was an element of older brother influence, <laughs> was just, I like sex. And then Dash, his brother's name. And then his little brother had a friend over too. And the little brother's friend wrote it also and signed his name. So it was like a quote. <laughs> it was like it, it, their names were attributed to this. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Nick and I would write all kinds of profanity, but I guess it was just implied that we did it, you know, and God, I don't know how much we wrote, but I know that there was a lot written on those walls, you know, not wall to wall, but there was definitely some stuff written there. And, you know, his mom too, she was a, she cleaned a lot. She, she kept a very clean and orderly home. And I know she vacuumed that crawl space. And she was a small woman, so I, I imagine that she could fit in there. She is a small woman. I imagine she could get in there. So she, she knew what we wrote. And they eventually moved when, you know, they were, when we were teenagers. So if, if, if for some reason she never cleaned in there, and I know she did because it was really dusty. I mean, it was never dusty in there. It was never dusty. It was never dirty. So in all the years that we spent hanging out at that house, I mean, she cleaned it and she knew what we wrote. And God bless moms. You know, God bless moms for not calling you out about some of that stuff you do. Writing profane innuendo. It wasn't even innuendo. It was just like explicit graffiti. Like anything we learned, anything bad we learned, I felt like we wrote there. But... You know, God bless her for not saying anything. And eventually, you know, that they moved. And, you know, you have to imagine when they sold the house, they had to paint over that or something. And, I mean, at that same house, too, you know, Nick, and I, I mean, if Nick, if you for some reason hear this, I'm sorry to reveal all of your secrets, <laughs> my friend. But uh, also in his room, which was in the basement, which was really a wild territory. You went down into the basement. It was a one-story house but it had a, a finished basement that connected to this, like, it connected to the garage, but also this weird, like, other part of the basement that connected to my friend's basement room. And that other part of the basement was, it had a concrete floor, and they used it for storage. And it really was, it had, a, like, a card table or some kind of table. It really was like a bad guy hideout, those, those fantastic bad guy hideouts I always talk about. Really fun house. A fun house. But anyway, in, in his basement room, you know, he, he had a, a bookshelf sort of thing. And it wasn't, I say a bookshelf sort of thing because it wasn't just a bookshelf. It was just sort of like, almost like an entertainment center. And he had this Cabbage Patch doll, like a male Cabbage Patch doll that he drew like muscles it was completely naked, and if you know Cabbage Patch dolls, their bodies were flesh-colored, but they were cloth. So they were weird dolls, because like, you took the clothes off, and they had this like hard plastic head, and then they had this like cloth flesh body. And Nick drew muscles, and I think he drew a dick on it. I think it was just, I mean, and there was nothing weird about it. It was just an anatomically correct doll. He actually made it less weird. By giving it some muscular definition and a dick. 
But he decided to name this doll Titch. <laughs> and, and he called it Titch the Bitch. And in Whiteout on his like entertainment sh- shelf, bookshelf thing in the basement, on the side of it, he wrote in Whiteout, Titch the Bitch. And this is a good family. Like this wasn't, you know, his parents, they were good like people. They raised their kids right. You know, they were they were good, you know, they were from Indiana. Uh, you know, it was Mil- his dad I think was from Milwaukee, mom from Indiana. His parents met at in- at Indiana University. Again, I'm sorry to share all these family secrets about my friend. I guess it's not secrets, but just it said Titch the bitch like just right in his room. And uh, it was just, it was great. But what's even better is just that they really were, are respectable people. But it's just this little, like, you know, I mean, there's a reason why this kid was my best friend, you know. There's a reason why we were co-conspirators in life. And I was the same way, you know. The, the, the things that he wrote were the kind of things that I would write. Uh, like, Titch the Bitch. But anyway, back to what I was talking about, like this crawl space, for whatever reason I, I brought up. Oh, because oh, saying I like sec, <laughs> this all came about because I was talking about how I like how we've shortened the word second to sec. And I like sec. I like saying sec. And that just reminded me of the, the graffiti in the crawl space that said I like sex twice. Because two different little boys wrote I like sex and then signed their names. But anyway, so back to back to like how social media is, you know, the 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 most it's I I wouldn't say it is our collective consciousness, but it's definitely the closest manifestation of it that we have to date, because someone can just pick up their phone and think a thought. And as they're thinking that thought, they are writing it, and often they don't think it through. And you can really, you know, I studied social psychology and sociology in college, and, and you know, I'm, I'm interested in psychology to some degree. So it's been very interesting for me, you know, to come of age with the internet and start out using forums and, and the earlier forms of, you know, instant messenger, the earlier forms of um, social media back before it was called that back before it had that unholy name. And so I, it's been very interesting for me to observe, you know, the psychology, the social psychology of the internet. And social media is when that, when all those things kind of came together. And I do think that it's the closest example we have of how the collective consciousness works and how your own thoughts become a part of the collective consciousness and how you type things as you think them and then everybody you know from all stages of your life kids you went to elementary school with to your coworkers to your family basically anyone who doesn't anyone who has an account and even then you know i have friends who don't have social media accounts but check twitter every day or check the public Facebook accounts of people they know. There's people who don't use it, well, they say they don't use it because they don't have an account or they have a secret account, but they um, still it, they still use it. They still see it. They still check it. It's still a part of their life. And 
so in that way, it's like even if you try to be Ted Kaczynski and and hide out, it's like it's it's very much like someone who someone who's trying to avoid social media or avoid modern technology or the internet. They're very much like one of those people who refuse to sell their house to a developer but everything around them got turned into commercial property. So they're basically a tiny square surrounded by this whole new world. It's like that old lady who wouldn't sell her house and they built a mall that basically like, there's basically a tiny indentation in the side of this mall where there's an old, uh, this little old house, because this lady refused to sell her land to the mall. You basically become that person. I think that's in Seattle. And I want to even say, like, the movie Up, which I haven't seen, is based on that house, but I might be, might be connecting things that are unrelated, but I might also be right. Um, so you basically become that person when you refuse to participate. You become Ted Kaczynski mailing instead of mailing bombs to people who own computer stores like Ted Kaczynski, <laughs> you basically become like a psychic version of that where you're, you, you secretly resent this thing. So in refusing to participate in the modern world, you actually are still part of it. You know, it's almost like resist, not evil. It is, it is the same as resist, not evil. You like Ted Kaczynski in his desire to completely remove himself from modern society. He couldn't resist being hateful about it and mailing bombs to people and writing manifestos and obsessing about technology. <laughs> he couldn't just live his life by example. His life revolved around technology. And now where is he? In a maximum security prison where that's maximum security prisons are as technological as you can get. You have an electronic sliding door that keeps you trapped inside of a building. There's cameras on you. You know, so Ted Kaczynski, I mean, he's basically, he probably wanted to be there all along, you know, in some weird, perverse way. Ted Kaczynski's ultimate fantasy was probably just to end up in a high security prison where he's surrounded by tech. But you can easily become that person in a very minor way. You know, you're not mailing bombs to people, but you can become that person or you can become that person whose house is completely surrounded by a shopping mall and be like, I never gave in. But every time you look out your window, you, now you see a shopping mall. Now you see commercial development. So you might as well just have sold your house and moved further out into the country. I don't know. I, I'm not telling anybody what to do. But, uh, you know, with social media, so it's like you just inevitably are affected by it. And I guess maybe this is just an elaborate way for me to justify talking about it. Maybe that's all I'm doing right here. But uh, it's fascinating to me to see it because you really do get a feel for people's psychology. And I think because you see what people think as they think it in many cases, you'll see posts from people and you, you're like, oh, that was, that's such an emotional reaction or that's such a knee-jerk response to something, good and bad. It's not just when they're mad, although we see a lot of that. But it's also sometimes when you can tell when someone's in a manic state almost. Not that they're manic-depressive necessarily. I probably use manic state very loosely, but just you can tell when someone's high. 
high on life. You can tell when someone drank too much coffee, and I'm probably guilty of that. And some people put a lot of work into it. You know, some people put a lot of work into writing long pieces, and I do that sometimes. You know, sometimes I write long. You know, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time editing and crafting it, but I will write long things that just from the top of my head. And but mo- that's that's not really what people have gravitated toward as this thing has developed. People are actually looking for just quick thoughts, which is why Twitter is so popular, which is why memes are so popular. Another word that I'm still not comfortable with. I'm comfortable with selfie. Not comfortable with the word meme, not comfortable with the phrase social media, but what else am I going to say now? I don't have I don't have a better word for it. Just like I don't have a better word for God, I don't have a better word for love. You know, I don't have a better word for meme. I don't have a better phrase for social media, so I got to say it. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a reason why these kind of quick thoughts are what has become the currency of the digital world. And they really are thoughts. They really are a, an immediate reflection of what someone is, is thinking or feeling. And I don't think people craft an image as much as we think they do. I think when they're trying to sell something, they do. And it becomes really obvious. You can tell when someone's trying to sell something or promote something, or especially if it's a company, it comes across robotic. Even if it's coming from a person, there's something robotic when someone is pushing something. Even if it's, you know, even if there's nothing like nefarious or manipulative about it, it's like there's still something kind of, we kind of get this feeling when we see that where we're like, oh, that's not a thought. I think because we're so used to seeing people's thoughts. And even though people do want to give an impression, even though people do virtue signal, even though people do want to craft an image, I don't think they're very good at it. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just don't think people can hide their true intention that easily. Even through this digital mask, you know, even through this digital world, I think in many ways we actually see a much more raw version of people when they express themselves on there. And sometimes it's through what they don't say. Sometimes through when they say something, it's what they don't say in, in uh, combination with what they say that we really get a feel for how they think. But right now we're seeing this overload. You know, women in particular right now are really, and I, I you know, disclaimer, I, you know, I, I love women. But right now, I'm, I'm seeing this absolutely, it, it looks exhausting, and I think it is. You know, and it's not, I, I think people's heart is in the right place, but I, I see this, it's just overloading with the current cause. And this isn't me giving any opinion one way or another, and that alone would cause someone to judge me by saying I'm not giving an opinion on this thing that everybody is talking about. Because that's where the collective consciousness that manifests in social media and sounds really pretentious when I say it, that's where things start to get weird because it it becomes not just a way of expressing our own thoughts, but it becomes a way of judging each other. And 
sort of um, determining where someone stands, but also... Let me think this one through. It becomes a way of baiting people in a way. How come you're not saying anything about this thing? How come you're talking about something else? How come you're, you know, it, it becomes this very, there's something almost accusatory about it. And it kind of gets, when I, when I mentioned earlier too, how there is this condescending aspect too. Sometimes when you see something from someone and you think, oh, you didn't really think that through. It's very easy to feel almost personally offended. You know, I always use the example of when someone tries to make a joke that you don't find funny. It's almost personally insulting in a weird way, even though it's totally harmless. And I'm not talking about offensive jokes that you've decided that you have issue with. I'm talking about when someone just says something that is inoffensive but unfunny, and the sheer fact that someone had the audacity to try to lighten the mood with a bad joke, and that person might not be very funny, we almost take personal insult to it. And it's, it's kind of what happens when someone posts something on social media that we don't, you know, either, either we don't agree with it or it's just something that we think is poorly thought out. It may not even involve agreement or disagreement, but we have this tendency to see that and think that is personally insulting. I feel personally insulted by the fact that you would put this thing into my head because that's what's going on that's sort of what happens with collective consciousness is we are sharing thoughts with each other and so when you put a thought into the collective consciousness you are putting that thought that you had which might not have been well thought out you are putting that poorly thought out thought into my head but what is a poorly thought out thought? And I don't want to get too far out here. But if someone thinks that it, it's a thought. And so what is a, so how can you really poorly think something out if everything is just a thought anyway? But I, that's, I don't want to go into that. Um, <laughs> maybe that's a poorly thought out thought. Uh, a thought out thought. But that idea, I think we feel personally offended because even though we are willingly participating in this never-ending stream of thoughts and expressions and images, and we voluntarily check this thing, even if it's partly because of dependency, and you know, even if it's something like that where it's like we don't even, I, I don't even want to check this, but I, I just keep doing it. You know, even if it's something like that, which is your problem, of course, but it's like you voluntarily check this thing, but then you get bothered when someone is voluntarily participating in it in a way that you don't really approve of or like, and uh, you somehow take offense to that. You think like, oh, why would you do that? Why would you put this into my head? And even if it's something you don't hold on to, you just see it for a split second and forget it, you might still have this moment of why did you put this into my head for a moment? And you don't realize that's what you're thinking. You don't realize that 
you are participating in the collective consciousness and in that way you've personalized other people's thinking because that's kind of what happens with the collective consciousness and you know maybe i'm maybe other people have a different understanding of what collective consciousness is you know you could also get into the collective unconscious unconscious these things start to get difficult to say but uh you know i i say collective consciousness because it's something that you could it's it's tangible you know the unconscious is is what's what you don't see and you know that probably relates to social media and stuff too but i feel like that's a topic i need to think more about because anything i could potentially say about that would be a poorly thought out thought anything i could say about the collective unconscious right now is a poorly thought out thought but uh the reason i say collective consciousness consciousness is because it's something that you can see it's something that you interact with it's something that is tangible to you in some way but you personalize it because you're participating in it too and it seems like anything that you participate in you have a difficult time not personalizing it because hey it's you who's involved in this thing but other people look at you and they're personalizing what you do too so we're all playing it you know we're all playing in that box and i, I find it interesting too that these things are these little boxes I find it interesting that it I find it interesting that everything is square or rectangular in this digital world. All of the design. You know, you think about a house, you think about the things that we've designed in the material world and they take all shapes. They use all shapes. Mirror, a mirror can be oval, it can be rectangular, it can be square. They got mirrors of all shapes. A sink, you know, some sinks are kind of squarish with rounded corners some are purely circular oval you know uh we do we just the, the things we design in the material physical world the things that we hold on to they really take all shapes and dimensions but it might just be the limitations of the format but maybe not you know there's something about the fact that the digital world relies on boxes and rectangles and the devices themselves are rectangular and boxy shaped but even the interfaces within them even the the purely digital interfaces within them are always square the images are always squares I'm just trying to think if i hear a uh, let me see if you can hear the coyotes here. I don't want Batty to get outside, but um, it's pretty incredible to hear them. It's always eerie, these coyotes. I live right... Hey, hey, buddy. It's just the coyotes. Just like you. They're just like you. They make sounds just like you. Oh. 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 Good, very good. Um, yeah, his previous owner taught him how to howl. 
Uh, chihuahuas don't naturally howl like that, but I could, I, I could hear the coyotes outside, and if the coyotes are howling out there, you know, Batty and I might as well howl too. Um, but yeah, chihuahuas don't naturally, I don't think they naturally just howl, but Anna taught him how to. If you howl first, he will join in, and you, you end up with this two-person, this man and dog chorus of howls. So you heard it here, folks. Uh, I don't, I, I reserve that only for special occasions, so hearing the coyotes, you know, doing this show, I felt like it, it was a good time for us to get a little howl in. Now he's all, he's alert. Good boy, that was a good howl. That was a good one. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, we, it's, it's funny how, like, with these digital interfaces, how they're, they're, they're not circular. You don't log into Facebook and see a bunch of circles. You know, yeah, we start, we've gotten into this thing where like your avatar is cropped in a certain way, where it's presented as a circle, but we don't really even see that as a circle. We see that as sort of like, we see that as like, there's something circular obscuring it around the edges. We still haven't gotten to a point where the digital medium, you know, uses other shapes except for kind of boxy things. And our thoughts themselves appear to people not as thought bubbles. They appear to people as generally square. Even if the, even if the corners are rounded, shh, we're done howling. We're done howling, boy. Um, but even if, uh, even if the corners are rounded, they generally have that sort of shape. And I, I don't know, I mean, I don't have any like I'm not getting to any really interesting point about this. I'm just saying that that stood out to me. I realized that once where I was like, you know, I, I, I'd made a comment once a few years ago about how we're kind of becoming squares again. You know, we went through this phase. We've gone through phases of humanity where we sort of get outside the box. But then I think we go through in the same way that cars, if you've noticed like trends with cars is for like 10 years, cars will have a kind of a squarish boxy design. And you think about a Jeep Cherokee and when I was growing up, the Jeep Cherokees were very boxy and rectangular. And then they released the new Jeep Cherokee, which had these kind of smoothed out, you know, rounded edges and... The trends with cars, I feel like, go back and forth. And I'm not a, enough of a car guy to really nail it down by decade or anything like that. But I do feel like there is a trend among cars where, like, we'll spend a few years with kind of roundish, smoothed out cars. And then suddenly a, a company will come out with a, a very boxy car again. And everybody's like, oh, my God, it's so new. Who, who would have ever thought about this boxy car? And it was just something that people had been doing 15 years earlier because it's cyclical. It's cyclical. And, uh, but I had a thought where I was thinking about how like all of these thoughts that get presented on social media appear as kind of boxy. And I was thinking how like we kind of have become squares in the same way that we've become tattletales. In the same way that modern liberalism is this weird form of glorified tattletaling he said this he did this he thought this because that's what it's become it's not just what you say or do when you see something on social media even though it's presented even though it's 
you know, semi-public, it's still a thought. So really, we are judging each other's thoughts. And uh, I do feel like, you know, there is something to the fact that this information is presented often in these squared shapes, and we ourselves have become squares in certain ways. In the same way that kind of science kind of promotes this squarish form of thinking where it's like, no, this is the way it is and we know. We, this is the way it is and we know. And it, it, that to me, when I hear somebody talk like that, it's, it's kind of like how in the 1950s when you called someone a square, it's because they were a nerd. And this goes along with nerd culture becoming mainstream. You know, this comes along with like everybody playing video games. This, this comes along with your dad playing more video games than you do. You know, my dad's never, my dad had a, he like used to play the Game Boy. He used to play Tetris. But, you know, dads that are my age, sometimes I think they play more video games than their kids sometimes. So it kind of goes along with nerd culture becoming mainstream too. And these things that we traditionally considered square, like the nerd who, thinks in very rigid scientific terms is is the norm now. And that's okay. It's not like I'm judging that. I mean, I have my own sort of aversion to it, but it's not like I think that's a mortal sin. It's just a way of thinking that I don't gravitate toward, and I don't want that way of thinking to be pushed on me. But I do think that we have become sort of squarish ourselves and that it's not a coincidence that our thoughts are presented in squarish formats and that so many of our interests and so much of what we do involves rectangular or square devices looking at our thoughts presented in weird little rectangular and square boxes. It just, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing to observe. The shapes, the shapes of our life, the shapes of our lives. You've, you've heard of the, that's what's happening. You know, as my friend Nick said, we're experiencing some form of great sync, a great synchronization with our, between our digital world and our material world. And, uh, you know, in the future, we're not going to have the soap opera days of our lives. It's going to be shapes of our lives and it's going to be nothing but squares, it's going to be nothing but squares flying at you. It's nothing but squares flying at you. I have this, this uh, I, I make tea. Like every morning now I make this iced tea. It's fruit flavored iced tea. And it gives you the illusion that you're drinking juice, but without the sugars. It's guilt free juice, as I say. When you make fruity tea, iced tea every day, it's guilt-free juice. But one of the bottles that I put it in, it's like, it's got kind of a sippy cup. It's a big bottle, like a water bottle, but it has kind of a sippy cup, plastic straw. And, you know, when I sip on it, it makes a an audible noise, which you probably just heard a second ago. And I'm self-conscious of it for some reason. I don't know. Self-conscious of that sippy cup straw noise, that, that plastic sippy cup straw sound. Um, in, in the shapes of our lives, the shape of my life is a plastic sippy straw that I drink guilt-free juice through. And that guilt-free juice, it turns out, is actually raspberry tea. The, one of the flavors that I like, it's called raspberry zinger. 
I'm not even kidding. It's the flavor, the branded flavor is raspberry zinger. So be like me. I want to be sponsored. You know, I, I want to sponsor at some point. I would love it if this show was sponsored. And I would love to be sponsored by Raspberry Zinger. Although Raspberry Zinger, that's not the name of the company. The company's some well-known tea company. The well-known tea company. Uh, but uh, I would love to be sponsored by that well-known tea company. And specifically, I would love to be sponsored by the Raspberry Zinger flavor. Because I could be honest in my promotion of it. I could be honest about my love for Raspberry Zinger. But yeah, going back, you know, I should, I'm going to close this out. But just the collective consciousness is what we experience when we get on social media. And it's, a you know, probably a more primitive form of what collective consciousness act- actually is. No doubt it is. Even though it's allegedly the cutting edge of social technology... The cutting edge of technology is always going to be catching up to what our brains can actually do and what our brains actually participate in. And it is a psychic process, and you shouldn't hear the word psychic and get afraid. Because people do get uncomfortable when they hear the word psychic. But when I say psychic, all I mean is the way that our thoughts and our minds interact even when we're not directly communicating with each other. And it doesn't mean that you can read someone else's mind, but to some degree you can just by knowing them and knowing their patterns. You know, when you have a significant other or a family member or a friend and you know exactly how they'd react, you know exactly what they would say in response to something, and not necessarily because they're predictable, not because they, they repeat themselves often, although that's a part of it, but when you know exactly what they would say because you know them so well, that is almost a form of psychic phenomenon itself. And there are times where it gets even stranger, you know, because I do believe in deeper psychic phenomenon than that. Not that I would ever say that I can read minds. Not that I would ever say that I can predict the future or that I have some kind of clairvoyance. But I think what we call psychic phenomenon is heightened intuition and that's not me trying to explain it i just i think that it's a closely related idea if it's not pretty much the same thing i think some people have an intuition that is so well honed and whether that's something you can develop or you're just born with i have no idea i think that it is something you're probably born with to some degree. It's probably both. It's something you're born with, but you do, you can learn to develop it. But, uh, you know, some people I do think have such a highly, their intuition works so quickly that it almost seems like they know things that are going to happen or they know things that are happening, even if they're not witness to it, even if it's in somebody else's head, I think you can intuitively guess or understand even what is going on with someone, especially if you know them. And uh, I don't know. I think that plays out online as well. I think that plays out online. I think that plays out online. You ever, you ever think about psychic phenomenon and how it plays out online? I do. I do. I think about that. 
I've experienced that. I wouldn't try to sell it. I wouldn't try to put it in a bottle and sell it to you like sand from, I don't know, like sand from a beach. <laughs> People do that, right? People sell sand from certain beaches in little bottles. They sell volcanic ash. I wouldn't try to sell that to you like volcanic ash in a bottle. But uh, I would talk about it and think about it. And someone can judge me for that. And they do, and they will. Squares will judge you for that. But I won't judge squares for judging me. At least I'll try not to, even though I call them squares, which seems like an inherently judgmental way of referring to another human being. But they're part of this collective consciousness too, whether you're on the grid, off the grid, whether you're on social media, off social media, whether you're in whether you're in the same room with somebody or not you know you do share some kind of headspace with them and that's something to think about especially right now when that headspace is so overloaded is so exhausted is so anxious but it's also a bunch of great things too and you can act those out you can act great things out in the collective consciousness and maybe those things will get embedded in the collective unconscious. In the same way that when you repeat positive mantras to yourself or you set goals for yourself or you just express yourself in a way that feels true and right to you, how that becomes embedded in your own consciousness and therefore it seeps into your unconscious and your unconsciousness in turn reinforces your reality. Just like Napoleon Hill talked about, just like a lot of self-help people talk about, just because they're selling you self-help doesn't mean they don't know what they're talking about. And it's something you find in religion, in spirituality. It's something you find in philosophy. You know, all of these people who have discovered this aren't wrong, and many of them aren't trying to sell you anything, and I'm certainly not, but I know this to be true through my own experience. So when you, when you verbalize something or you think something, and it's empowering in some way, that does seep into the thoughts that you don't even know you're having. It, it kind of, it's, it's like watering your own roots, and those roots might not be what you see, but they're an important part of what blooms. And in that same way, if you can verbalize certain things, if you can express certain aspects of your own consciousness and that seeps into your unconscious, you can do the same thing with the collective consciousness and the collective unconscious. You can express yourself in ways that are true to you in these collective headspaces, and those will seep into the collective unconscious in those same headspaces, and maybe something will bloom from there. The same process, processes that play out within you are the same things that play out within everybody, within the headspace that we all share.
both the parts of that that we are aware of, the consciousness, as well as the unconsciousness that we aren't completely aware of. But if you know that it's there, you know that that is something that you can work with. You know that that is part of the process. So that's something to be aware of. That's something to be aware of. And I feel like if you are aware of that, you're not much of a square. And even if you're expressing yourself in these little square boxes with little square devices, rectangles, whatever shape you want to call them, even if you're expressing yourself that way, you are transcending the shapes of your life. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.